Hello and welcome to Warwick Podcasts. Falling share prices in combination with the credit crunch and a record high in the price of oil has raised the prospect of a deep economic recession in 2008. Professor Andrew Oswald of the Economics Department talks to Tom Abbott about the chances of a severe economic downturn and what actions consumers could take to guard against it. I think it's a fairly safe statement to say that we seem to be entering a period of quite difficult global economic circumstances and there are a number of factors that are um, involved in that and I think I'd like to pick out one or two of those with you and explore them in some detail and let's start with oil. Many consumers in the UK will no doubt be feeling the, the pinch of rising oil prices at the petrol pump, a litre of petrol well over a pound now for the first time. These prices are being driven by some quite significant global shifts in in the economy of oil. Could you just explain what the kind of key factors are at the moment in the rising oil prices? The price of oil is determined, like the price of most other things, by demand and supply. I'm sorry to sound like a regular economist. So the demand for oil has been very high. We've been through a tremendously prosperous uh, decade or decade and a half in the world economy. And some countries like China in particular have been powering ahead. So the demand for oil has been extremely strong. Uh, if you remember the background is the world gets through very nearly 90 million barrels a day. That's higher than ever before in recorded history. Supply looks a bit tight at the moment. Nobody really knows for sure. There's a lot of talk about uh, this, possibly talk about Saudi, uh, the Saudis not having as plentiful a supply as some people have thought. Maybe the same is true of Iran and so on. I would put most emphasis on the demand side, but possibly there's some kind of factor holding down the supply of oil to the global economy. With that increase in demand, particularly from emerging economies, India and China, we're all still exposed to those high prices, and yet are we feeling the pinch harder in the West than someone like China would feel? I don't think we're feeling the pinch harder or less hard than other countries. The, the truth is that uh, around the globe, oil is one of the most fundamental parts of modern life. Of course, it more or less controls everything to do with transport. Petroleum is a key ingredient into chemicals and fertilizers and paints, everything to do with plastic, all sorts of medicines. Most people don't realize how fundamental oil is deep down in their lives. They just take, take it for granted. Oil is getting very expensive. Of course, we're seeing quite close to $100 a barrel on some measures. And I think it's fair to say most economists are surprised about how well the world economy has survived this really incredibly impressive spike, if you look at the graphs, in the price of petroleum. Somehow or other, we are still motoring on as a, a world economy. You, you mentioned there the surprise that we, we've managed to suck in this this this. Uh, increase in the prices. What might be the reasons why we haven't seen an economic collapse in the sense that we did during the 1970s when we went through pressure on oil prices then? Nobody knows why oil price spikes haven't devastated the world economy as so often in the past. If we just go back and think about the facts since the Second World War, there have been 10 major recessions in the world economy since 1945. Nine out of 10, if you look at the data, were preceded 
by a big spike upwards in the price of oil. So although we haven't got a proven cause and effect link between oil price pressures and later recessions, there's certainly plenty of evidence consistent with that. Now, how on earth have we survived it? I suppose that the sensible thing to say is there have been strong countervailing forces. China is coming into its own as an economic power. The demand for goods from Chinese citizens has gone up all over the world. And second, it's been a period of very low borrowing costs. It's been cheap to borrow. Those two positives probably are what have outweighed the, the negative of the expensive oil that we've seen in the last few years. Is there a relationship between the oil, the oil price and the weakness in the dollar? Is oil being seen as a, a sanctuary for investment? And is that, is that distorting the market for oil? I wouldn't say that oil's being seen as a sanctuary for investment. Of course, plenty of the important purchases of dollars around the world are losing confidence in the dollar. That's only natural because the dollar's become progressively weak. So we hear a lot of talk about some sorts of organizations switching away from using dollars as their fundamental currency. Whether that will happen remains to be seen. And of course, all currencies go through strong periods and weak periods, and, and we tend to get carried away a bit with that. Oil remains a very important substance in the world economy, and I suppose everyone ought to know the fact that the United States now only produces about one-third of its own oil. So two-thirds is being imported. That's worrying for all kinds of reasons. You just think about the security implications. The most important power, military power around the globe, the United States, its hardware is more or less useless without oil. Uh, it's scary for all, all kinds of reasons, I think, if the United States becomes heavily dependent on imported oil for its continuing prosperity. And future gazing, worst case scenario, and obviously looking into the future is, often, is, is a risky risky sort of a, a business, but how much more oil, how much more of a rise in oil prices can the, the global economy take? Is there a point at which things just become so expensive and difficult that we start to see economic slowdown, we start to see recession coming in. Is that a likely scenario? Every economist thinks that expensive oil is bad for economic growth and for prosperity. Economists differ in the weight that they give to oil. Some of the research that I've been involved in through the years has found a very heavy uh, emphasis in the data on movements in the price of oil. Not everybody agrees with me. The data suggests it takes about 18 months after a big rise or fall in the price of oil before you see a strong movement in the real side of the economy. So we know that about a year and a half after a big rise in the price of oil, the US unemployment rate, for example, tends to, tends to start rising strongly. What will happen this time? I'm afraid nobody knows. You spoke earlier about the fact that there's been this counterbalance of cheap borrowing, um, but we've seen those interest rates start to come under pressure in um, certainly in the US, with um, what's been globally termed as the credit crunch. Can you just explain to me a little bit about exactly what a credit crunch is? Probably people have different definitions of a credit crunch, but the problem is that in the United States, a lot of lenders have been lending loans too wildly. That is not caring sufficiently about the credit status of the people to whom they're lending the money. And of course, that's an excellent thing to do if you're a bank or a financial organization when things are going well. But once the economy slows down, people start to lose confidence. Those bad loans start to look dangerous. And, and probably, as everyone knows, there's a sort of accumulation of financial problems now. House prices in the US are falling. 
everyone's losing confidence in holding on to housing assets. All the bad or semi-bad loans are causing problems. The chickens financially are coming home to roost. Of course, we're hoping that Britain won't follow suit heavily downwards and that confidence around the world will remain reasonably high. But history doesn't tell us to be optimistic here. We, we know that credit crunches, um, the progressive loss of confidence can accumulate in scary ways. And adding this credit crunch to high oil prices doesn't make for a good recipe, does it? It's a scary recipe. It's a really bad recipe. Expensive borrowing, lack of uh, funds to those even with good credit who want to borrow, very high oil prices. This is the stuff of economic nightmares, I'm afraid. We, we don't know that this will lead to a giant world recession. Many indicators, I must say, are turning down, so it's not looking terrific. But maybe the strength of China, the continuing fairly low interest rates by historical standards, maybe those will allow us to pull through without a very bad global recession. You mentioned a number of indicators there. Could you just give me a quick overview of, of what those indicators are? In Britain, we, we saw that unemployment rose uh, just a week or two ago, that's not a good sign. My friends in the city who watch all these numbers, this is how they make their living, they tell me that a number of the key indicators are going in the wrong direction. Of course, there's a rising problem with uh, people trying to repay their mortgage, and that's particularly true in the United States. We've got now long queues of homeowners who can't sell their houses, all these things individually are small, but the problem is if if they accumulate and there's a, a kind of a lack of confidence that, that ha operates, think of dominoes, through the economy. That That's the problem. Uh, the Northern Rock uh, debacle is another example of that. We know that an economic system depends partly on confidence. I believe in you, you believe in Mr or Miss X, and once we get a crumbling of confidence in one part of the system, it can reverberate through all of the system. Mm. I think there are many commentators and yourselves included in this who have uh, have commented that the UK housing market is a very good example of somewhere where people have been overconfident and um, the market is uh, has become overvalued and, and there's a point at which there needs to be a significant correction. Are we on the point now, do you feel, of, of that significant correction coming in? Nobody can predict the British housing market. I must say that lots of us thought there would be a housing crash years ago. We are at ratios of house prices to incomes, not just unheard of, but you know beyond the wildest dreams of economists 10 or 20 years ago. We never went beyond a ratio of house prices to average income of about four. Now we're at something like six. Houses are not just on historical terms overvalued. They're, they're overvalued by uh, an extent that just could not possibly have been contemplated. Either this means there's a new world and somehow we'll survive it all, or there'll be a, an even bigger fall. We'll have to wait and see, but, but clearly the signs from the, the United States where house prices are falling, that's not encouraging for us in Britain or Europe. We don't know the outcome, but it, it, this is not a, a great encouraging moment. There's been a lot of discussion recently, actually, about how the buy-to-let market has distorted the overall price of, of housing within the UK. How significant is the buy-to-let market in terms of um, driving UK house prices? 
That's a very good question and also extremely hard to answer. I don't think that the buy-to-let market is, let's say, more than 10% or, or 20% of the reason why British house prices are high. I view it more as a symptom. People began to believe that housing was a one-way bet. You know, we, we've all had, at least I have, uh, had taxi rides around London where the, the cab drivers tell me they're buying properties to let. I think that's a sign that people think that the risk from owning homes, of course, has gone away. It's extremely unlikely historically that that's true. Usually things end in tears when everyone decides that buying X is a surefire winner. But I should emphasize nobody knows and we have survived these extraordinary house prices for many years now. The economic circumstances in which we're currently operating aren't positive for a good outcome there, perhaps. Um, there's a political aspect to all of this, isn't there? That um, you know, we had the discussion around Gordon Brown calling the election. Would he? Wouldn't he? Would, what was the economic forecasting going to say? Was it going to put us? Was it going to put the Labour Party in a strong position to to win uh, another election? And there's often this association made that a successful economy, good economic performance equals a happy electorate. Is is the equation really that simple, or are there more complex things? that are underpinning the confidence of the electorate in terms of its relationship with the economy, um, the way that we feel about global economic performance. There's very good statistical evidence that the unemployment rate and the inflation rate do affect the happiness of our citizens. Uh, Warwick Research actually helped lead the world in showing that and it's been replicated. That was done about 10 years ago. It's been replicated by researchers all over the world. There's an earlier research literature showing, just as you'd expect, that the state of the business cycle, the, how well the economy is doing, helps predict whether the party in power will get in again. So there's a lot of evidence, uh, consistent with common sense, that economic conditions do influence how well politicians do and how cheery we're all feeling with the quality of our lives. I, I expect that to continue and uh, presumably as things worsen in the economy, it seems likely they will, then happiness, if that's the way to put it, in Britain will turn down a bit and the prospects for Gordon Brown will get steadily worse. That would be my forecast for what it's worth. But is there a direct connection? Because, uh, you know, we often, we, when we look out and, and look at the current economic climate and, and things are, you know, we look at oil prices, we look at the credit crunch, and yet then we, we look at inflation figures and consumer confidence... Um, there seem to be there seem to be a lag between the impact of one on the other at the moment, and we seem to be. Is there a, is there an, any evidence to suggest that we are um, buying our way out of economic problems? I wouldn't put it in those terms. There is a lag, or in other words, uh, it's true that people feel reasonably cheery at the moment. And when you look at the numbers, actually, inflation is not high, unemployment is not high, economic growth is perfectly acceptable. But peering into the distance, things are turning negative. And, of course, in the media, rightly or wrongly, we, we know that it's possible to get citizens worked up about, oh, we're losing confidence, we're having a feel-bad uh, part of recent history, and, and so on. There are lags, there are true effects, but uh, perceptions and beliefs, this feel-good, feel-bad factor, can take on a life of its own, and perhaps that's happening at the moment, actually. We've outlined there a fairly, you know, when we add all that together, it, it does make for, uh, on the surface, a fairly depressing picture 
in terms of the potential direction that the global economy might go. I mean, are we, should we all be battening down the hatches and, and stocking up on tins of fruit, you know, waiting for the waiting for society to collapse as the global economic recession hits, or you know, should we be thinking a little bit more positively about the future? Fruit is good for your health. I think it's sensible to stock up on tins of fruit. The honest thing to say is that nobody knows where the British economy or the world economy will go. But if you just think about the big picture, what do we know for sure about economies? We know that there's a powerful trade cycle that has existed for at least 100 years. That is, we tend to have every seven or eight years, we have a trough followed by a boom with a fairly regular pattern. We have, over the last 10 to 12 years, put off the trough, put off the recession part. Now, it might be that the whole world has changed and that cycle that existed for 100 years is going to go away. But the history of predicting such things is an extremely gloomy one, and I couldn't advise anyone to believe it. In other words, we are due for a recession. Unfortunately, economic science is not at the point where we can predict 14 months from now we will be in one. So it's similar, I suppose, to a, a Japanese earthquake scenario. We know one's coming, we're just not entirely sure when that's going to be. There must be some deep, deep connection between uh, predicting earthquakes and predicting the business cycle and unemployment moves and inflation moves and so on. But science, probably in both cases, is not at the point where we can make an accurate prediction. And I don't know whether you know the joke about the economist who knew that a bus was coming but stepped out too soon. Many economists, including me, have got into trouble through the years in predicting boom or gloom and getting the timing wrong. We just know economies, markets tend to be deeply cyclical. We just can't predict the time. To draw the comparison a little bit further, though, in Japan, knowing the fact that there's an earthquake coming, you build earthquake-proof houses. Are there structural issues that we should be addressing now that would actually help us alleviate the potential future impact um, and perhaps we have to acknowledge, yes, there is a crash, there is a, a, a drop in, say, housing prices or oil prices are going to go up. But are there actions that could be taken now that would make sh that say that would be a, a comfortable slide down rather than a sudden crash? Yes, there are actions that can be taken. You can view the Bank of England's job as helping to smooth out the bumps and the troughs of life in part and, and to keep inflation low as a, a background help to the economy at the level of the individual you and me then it wouldn't be crazy to think well we've had a long time of prosperity and maybe we're due for some tough years perhaps i'll start saving a bit more than i have been just to bear in mind that maybe two years two and a half years from now there'll be quite a lot of unemployment in britain and things won't be looking so good and perhaps a nest egg of two or three thousand pounds even might be good for me and my family. Yes, I think it would be sensible for people to plan ahead and not just extrapolate constantly from the good times. Mm. But the kind of response that we've seen to the Northern Rock, where, according to some sources, the taxpayer has now taken on a liability of somewhere in the region of £40 billion, isn't really a sustainable way of future-proofing our economy, is it? No, it isn't. And if you're someone who's holding a lot of financial assets, in other words, you're somebody rich who's got money uh, stashed away in shares and deposits and all sorts of things, then I think in your shoes I would be diversifying as much as I could. I'd be thinking, well, let's consider worst-case scenario here. Maybe I don't want to have all of my money locked up in cash, say, in one particular building society. Let's do the traditional thing. This is what children were taught by parents 100 years ago or even 50 years ago. Don't assume things are going to be great. Uh, keep some savings. 
diversify and just bear in mind that things go down as well as up. And is this a should should we be seeing this as also as a trigger for diversification in um, the way that our economy is dependent on oil? Should we be using this current economic situation as a way of actually as a, as a ramming home the message that actually we need to be less dependent on oil we need to be looking at alternative sources of energy alternative ways of managing our um, uh, managing our economy managing the way we live yes i think very strongly and i've tried to say this a lot over the last five or ten years that it's important to try to get away from oil as the dominant energy source in our country and that's particularly true say for the united states economy Oil is such a fundamental substance in our lives, even though most citizens never consider that. You don't want to be reliant on this powerful substance, black gold, which is buried predominantly in the Middle East, not the most stable part of the world, in an era where global warming is a fundamental problem. Uh, relying on oil in this uh, tremendously sharp way in Western society is bad from just so many perspectives.